I'd like you to turn in your Bibles, please, to the Gospel of John. And we're going to break in at verse 10 into a story which is very familiar. It's a story of Jesus and his encounter with the woman caught in the very act of adultery. John's Gospel, chapter 8. We're going to begin to read at verse 10. And um, I'm pretty sure you know the story. Jesus is teaching, um, and, and uh, there's a noise, a commotion. The scribes and Pharisees have arranged for a woman caught in the act of adultery, which means she might well have not been properly or fully clothed. We don't know. She was certainly brought there against her will. She would have been screaming. She would have been sobbing. Her hair had been all over the place, and she's thrown down in the dirt in front of Jesus. And they say, Teacher, Moses said such a woman should be stoned to death. What do you say? The trick question, if ever there was one. You know the answer that Jesus gave. Let, let the one who has no sin cast the first stone. I'm preaching already. You don't know it. <laughs> and then they all got embarrassed and left, left Jesus alone with this woman. Then verse 10 says, When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. I believe that God is sending and already is beginning to send a new, fresh move into the earth, a move of His Holy Spirit in which we will go deeper with God than we've ever gone before. Many of you will know, and I hope you don't get tired of me telling you and being excited about it, I am a scuba diver. And there's quite a few of us actually on the staff of scuba diving. And I am not only a scuba diver, I am a dive master, I'm a rescue diver, and um, I'm also a dive instructor. And yet my area of diving is called recreational diving. In other words, it's not one of those technical things where you get all in involved in incredible gas mixes and technical equipment and go down to 100, 200 meters. People do that. My diving, as deep as I think it is, is actually quite superficial and shallow. You know, normally we'll go to about 30 meters, and there's some good things to see at 30 meters. There's a special form of coral called black coral, which actually is bright red. You can't see the color at that depth until you shine a light on it. And if you break it open, which I've never done, because you, don't want, you want to preserve the coral, inside it's black. So they call it black coral. And that is around 30 meters. Sometimes you need to go a little bit deeper, very quickly and carefully, to see other stuff. Some great... World wrecks of Second World War, which I've seen, 
actually begin about 30 meters, and I might pop down to 40, 45 meters, and making sure I've made a good telephone call to my insurance. And, uh, and yet it's so superficial, even by, by technical standards. But you know, even beyond technical divers, the ocean is so deep. The ocean is as deep in places as Mount Everest is high. There's more people being on Mount Everest than there's people being to the depths of the ocean. And this reminds me of the infinite ocean of the love and grace and mercy and power and goodness of God into which we have been plunged as uh, spiritual scuba divers. The Holy Spirit gives us the scuba diving system and we can go really in, in deep as God, as deep as we want to deep. There, there's no limits. And yet so many of us spend time not even in the ocean but on the shores and God says, come on, come deeper with me. I want to take you places in me that you've never been before. I want you to discover things about me that you never believed were possible and, ima uh, and imaginable. The Apostle Paul in the book of Ephesians talks about God's love itself being, being so, so wide, so deep, so high, and so long. And he even goes into fifth, fourth and fifth dimensions trying to explain it. He says, I want you to know this love that passes knowledge. He's saying to know God's love is, is going to take an eternity to experience it, but why wait for heaven? Start going deeper now. So we're going to be talking about this theme on and off for a little while. And my first message in this, I believe, highlights perhaps one thing above anything else that holds us back from going deeper with God. And that is our sin. You see, we, we can't go deeper with God while we're holding on to stuff which dishonors Him. And so, this statement of Jesus to the woman, go and sin no more, is as much an invitation to let go of the things that are blocking you and preventing you from going deeper, as much an invitation to be free to go deeper as it is a statement about the goodness and holiness of God. Because if we walk with God, we have to deal with the things that offend Him. Now, I'm not going to start in the second part of the saying. I'm going to go back to the first part because Jesus didn't just say, go and sin no more. He began by saying, I do not condemn you. And this must come first. We are never going to go deeper in fellowship with God until we understand how much He loves us and how fully, freely, and eternally He's accepted us. And yet this is the big problem for many of us. Even when I'm teaching about go and sin no more, some people are thinking, please don't talk about sin because I'm feeling guilty enough as it is. But the kind of talk about sin that sets you free is the talk about sin that begins with God's love for the sinner. And that's what this woman encountered. I won't go too much into the intricacies of it, but they were trying to trick him. They were trying to get him to deny the law of Moses because they know he preached grace. He said such things as, I've not come to condemn the world, but I've come to save the world. That's what he's saying. So they're saying, we'll get him this way because he's got to condemn this woman. If he doesn't condemn this woman, then he's a false prophet because Moses in the law said, 
that adulterers should be put to death. Now, aren't you glad we're not living in those days? But I tell you what, if we were living in Moses' days, London, well, anyway, let's, 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 let's not go there. But just because we're not living under the law of Moses, it doesn't mean to say that our sin is less offensive to him. It just means we pass from one covenant to another, from the covenant of law, which was there to expose our sin, into the covenant of grace, which is there to deal with our sin. And so, you can imagine this lady, I don't think she'd be looking up, I think she was terrified. She'd be on the ground just in front of Jesus, uh, and her hair would be all over her face, and she, she'd be sobbing, and, and, and she'd be dusty and dirty and in, 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 the, in the sand, and, and she doesn't really know what's going on. And, and Jesus wants to remind her, he says, listen lady, just have a look around you. Is anybody left here to condemn you? And she looked around, she, to her surprise, there was nobody there to condemn you. That's the kind of church we should have. A church that doesn't condemn or judge. Now, we say, wait a bit, Colin, you know, you, you know, I really believe Kensington Temple is soft on sin, so don't go and prove it. I'll tell you what, we're not soft on sin. We are as hard on sin as the law of Moses is hard on sin. We are as hard as sin as the judgment of God is on sin. But the good news is that the sin has been nailed to the cross and we no longer carry it. The Bible says... There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And Jesus said, let the one who has no sin cast the first stone. Meaning that the only one qualified to speak judgment is the one who is without sin. And they all knew they weren't without sin, so they got the heaven out of there quickly before Jesus began to deal with them. And when Jesus was left alone with this woman, there was only one person who stood before her, and this one was without sin. How many people understand that at that time, under the law of Moses, Jesus had a right as the only one without sin to speak judgment over this woman? Isn't that right? But the only one who had a right to judge her said, I don't judge you. I don't condemn you. Why? Because he is the God of grace and mercy. The law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came himself, and his name is Jesus. And he makes this pronouncement over her life, neither do I condemn you. And that's the first part. I do not condemn you. It's a declaration. It's a pronouncement. In other words, he was declaring something over her life that was wonderful, and he declared it over her. She didn't bring it about. You see, God's mercy comes first. God's grace comes first. And you can do nothing to qualify. In fact, sinners qualify, not righteous people. Righteous people don't need mercy and grace. The Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one. But the trouble is many, there are many self-righteous people. And self-righteous people will never come to, for, to experience God's mercy and grace because they think, I don't need it. And anyway, I earned my way here. I paid my ticket. I paid the price. That's what they think. But there is no price big enough to pay 
for the cleansing of sin. Only one price. It's the blood of Jesus, God's Son, that cleanses from sin. So Jesus said, I do not condemn you. And when he said this, remember who's speaking. The Bible says that God will judge the earth by the man, Christ Jesus. He is the judge of all things. He is the highest authority when it comes to judgment. And, and one day, God, Jesus will judge the whole world. He will do it. And that day of judgment is coming. But Jesus said, because I am the judge, I have a prerogative. And I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to bring judgment forward for you. And I'm going to bring that judgment forward over your life and get ready for it. I'm going to pronounce my final judgment over your life. Lady, not guilty. I declare you righteous. I lift condemnation off your life forever. And because Jesus did that, that's the final say. There's no higher authority. God the Father, you may say, but God the Father committed that to God the Son and declared Him to be the judge. So there is no appealing against this. The devil can't say, that's not fair. Jesus, you know this woman. She's wretched sinner. She's been caught in the very act of adultery. How can you declare this? I challenge this. I'm going to take you to a higher court. Too late, Satan. The judgment has already been declared Amen. over this woman's life. No, no enemy could come to her and say, no, you can't do that. I'm going to appeal against this judgment. Nobody can appeal against that judgment. Nobody. No enemy. No friend, no devil, no demon, not even your mother-in-law can bring an accusation against you when Jesus has said, no condemnation. Now, immediately you're going to ask yourself, well, wait a bit, how does this work? Because, you know, I don't know what you feel like, but sometimes today when, when we hear something that is good, and we say, that's good, that's very good. In fact, it's too good to be true. And a lot of people throughout history have struggled with this. Maybe even you struggle. You say, well, how is it that Jesus can just blanket forgive somebody? He's not like you and me. So suppose, you know, you came to me and you were complaining about, do you know what? That person's mad with me. Mad with me. Why? Because I told them to shut up and get out of here and, and I shouldn't have done it. Well, what did they say to you? And I sit and talk to you and say, oh, you know, do you know what? They deserve it. Don't worry. Don't worry about it. I'm not going to condemn you for that. You, they deserved it. And that kind of justice that we execute amongst ourselves is, is not the judgment and justice of God, is it? That's you and I. And I tell you what, I find it easier to say to my friends, I don't condemn you. But to my enemies, they can't even blink. And I've and I, and I got my answer ready for them. So we, we are very partial, but God is impartial. And also, He is the one who's got to clean all things up. He can't just say, okay, all that rubbish, go and dump it over there. He can't do that. He has to deal with it. He has to deal with sin because he is the righteous judge of all the earth. So when he speaks as the righteous judge of all the earth over this woman and says, woman, I do not condemn you, how does that work? Now, when you and I rejoice, as we've been doing today, that God loves us and God's accepted us and he's forgiven us of all of our sins as we were celebrating the, the communion service together earlier, we have something to look back on. 
Oh, it happened a long, long time ago, more than 2,000 years ago. Jesus died on the cross. And we can say, because Jesus died for me, he took my sin, my shame, my punishment, and the judgment of God was poured out on him. And Jesus took the rap for me. He took my place. He who knew no sin was made sin for the unjust, the righteous, sinners like us, that we could become the righteousness of God. But you know, it was just the same for this woman, although the cross hadn't happened yet. Jesus was able to say, lady, I declare no condemnation over your life because not many months from now, I'm going to go to a certain place called Calvary, and I'm going to lay down my life. I'm going to allow them to nail my hands to the cross, and I'm going to allow them to lift me up between heaven and earth. And there, in that moment, I am going to become the sin offering for the sins of the whole world, including for you. Including you. And because I'm going to carry your sin, and I'm going to pay the price for your sin, I now can pronounce you not guilty. And, and what did she have to do to qualify? Think about it. People never, ever preach like this, well, sometimes they do, but most people don't preach like this, but this is what they're thinking. They're saying to people, come to Jesus, come to Jesus, but really don't expect him to give it to you too easily. Because, okay, he'll accept you, but I'll tell you something, if you mess up again, you're in big trouble. And anyway, you have to prove yourself to him. He'll accept you, but you've got to prove yourself to him. You've got to prove that you're going to follow him. You've got to prove that you're going to be a great disciple. You're going to prove that you're going to deal with sin in your life. You've got to prove that before he accepts you. And that's not the gospel. What did this woman do? What did this woman do? What can you do to make yourself acceptable to God? Maybe she should say, Jesus, let, let's meet up later on because I just need to go and have a shower, get changed, and we'll come and we'll talk. And when you see that I look like a really respectable person, maybe you will just go easy on me. Or maybe she should say, just let me off just this once, just this once. Please, please, I promise I'll never, ever do it again. I'll never, ever do it again. Is that Grace. Some people say, I heard this recently, oh, Kensington Temple, preaching cheap grace. Please, please forgive me if I've ever preached cheap grace. Grace is not cheap. Grace is absolutely free. <laughs> absolutely free. It cost him everything, but it costs us nothing. Otherwise, it's not grace. Grace is unmerited favor. We totally don't deserve it. In fact, we totally deserve the opposite. But when God sees us bound in our sin, burdened by our condemnation, threatened by a Christless eternity, he says, there's only one hope, my mercy and my grace. Jesus accepted her in her sin, just as she was, just as he was. No preconditions, no fine print clauses, like when you go on holiday and uh, you want to make some claim in the insurance, 
and they say with delight, oh, sorry, <laughs> you're not covered, and, yeah, and you're not sorry either. You read the fine print. There are no sub-clauses, no fine print get-out clauses for God. He says, my grace is pure, 100% free. I take you exactly as you are. Well, how does this happen? You see, in Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, turn there. It'll come up on the screen, but also turn there. It explains how this happens. Therefore, having been justified by faith. Justified means exactly what Jesus did to this woman, saying, I do not condemn you. When you're justified, God declares you not guilty. God declares you righteous. Even when you're not in yourself. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. No wonder it says, and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Then go back to Romans chapter 4. Verse 5. So, what part does our work, our works play in our salvation? What do we have to do to be saved? What do we have to do to stay saved? What do we have to do to prove we are saved? What do we have to do? Nothing. But one thing, which isn't, a, which isn't a work, so I'm coming to that. You know it's faith, but I'm coming to that. So, the Apostle Paul describes this grace of justification, as it's called, when he declares us not guilty. But to him who does not work. Listen, talk about those who are unemployed. It means those who don't try to do good works in order for God to accept them. We don't do good works in order to be accepted by God. We do good works because we have been accepted by God and we just want to serve Him. But He says, to the one who does not work but believes. It's justification by faith and faith alone. But believes on him who justifies, what's the next word? Who does he justify? He justifies the ungodly. This woman was ungodly. Take it. Yep, agreed. We're not condemning her, but that's the truth. She was ungodly. Before you and I came to Christ, we were ungodly. But him who, who believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted as righteousness. Just as David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness. In other words, he credits to you. He, credit, credit it's, he credits it to you. It's the gift of righteousness, a right standing with God as a gift to whom God imputes righteousness apart from work. So twice he says, to one who does not work but believes, to the one who believes without doing anything, 
that person has had their sins forgiven. Verse 7, he quotes, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. So when you look to Jesus and believe, he takes away your sin and gives you the gift of righteousness and no more sin, past, present, or future, will ever be held at your account ever again. That is a blanket, unconditional pronouncement of no condemnation as a free gift, which is received by faith. So let's, let's do a kind of slow motion replay, because I don't know if you missed it, but you've got to look carefully to see what actually happened. We can see what didn't happen. We can see that this lady was not given a probationary period to go and prove that she was worthy of Jesus' forgiveness. She didn't have to make promises which would qualify her for his love. His love was just a free gift. He pronounced no condemnation over her life. But we've just read that somewhere, somehow, she must have believed. When did it happen? I kind of look at it, look at it like this. And you've got to read carefully, but we don't exactly know when that moment happened. But it's kind of like this, I'm pretty sure. There she is looking down on the ground. She's so ashamed. She's terrified. She doesn't know that everybody's left. She doesn't know that she's now safe. She thinks she's going to die at any moment, and she's just beside herself. When you're, when you're being criticized and, and, and condemned and, and you're in, in fear, fear is all around you, you don't think straight, do you? And so there she was, and then Jesus says, look up. Where are they? And she looks, and they're, they're gone. They're not here. They're not here, Lord. And then she sees Jesus. Now Jesus is standing. He was sitting before. Now he's standing. So she's still on the ground. She looks up. What does she see? Does she see hate? Condemnation? Anger? Judgmentalism? What does she see? Thank you. I think that's the right answer too. She sees love. She sees affection, compassion, tenderness, forgiveness. And she sees someone whom she can trust. And in that moment, you see how simple faith is? And simple faith is the only response to pure grace. She sees pure grace and she somehow in a very simple way. We don't know that she uttered any words. We don't know that Jesus was able to say, yes, I see that hand, pray this prayer, go to the consolidation room. None of that happened. But something happened in her heart. She saw someone who loved her for who she was and for who she could become. And she trusted him. And Jesus smiled and said, neither do I condemn you. 
go and sin no more. Now we're coming to the second part, but can you see how I had to talk about the first part? Because there's no way we can obey Jesus to go and sin no more until we know that we're saved. You can never live a righteous life while you're walking under condemnation. It's impossible. While you're under the guilt and power of sin, you can't do anything about it. But he says, I've just rescued you. I've lifted the penalty of sin. And it was like a huge weight lifted over her shoulders, an incredible relief. I remember that first day way, way back in whenever, you know, 1850, I can't remember when it was when I got saved. No, 19... Yeah, anyway, it was some other century. I was 18 years of age. And he took it all away. All the sin. All the weight. I felt so light. I felt so free. It was wonderful. And it still is wonderful. Amen. Past, present, future sins, all nailed to the cross. Of course, we have to walk in forgiveness, but it's all, it's a done deal. The final verdict, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. And now she's in a different frame of mind. When somebody's been that good and that kind to you, and, and, and you're so passionately in love, which is the response of a heart that has first acknowledged God's love. That's when you can learn to love. Remember it says we love because he first loved us. 1 John 4 verse 9. Remember it also says, he that has been forgiven much, loves much. So now we know a lot about this lady. She's so free, she's so happy, she's so delighted, she's so grateful. And now Jesus says, go and sin no more. Now, you've got to listen to the tone of voice here. Because it, the tone of voice, and I've heard some people teach this, and certainly they think this, it means, right, lady, now you better go and sin no more. Because if you mess up again, we'll be back right here. And next time, maybe I'll just let them get on with it. Remember, Jesus didn't say, I do not condemn you if you sin no more. Now, I don't think for a moment this lady went back to that sin. But I know her, uh, along with all of us, never live a perfect life. She, never, she wasn't perfect. And I, the whole passage seems to suggest there's no way she went back. She didn't say, oh, that's great. Ooh, got away with that. Who's next? Who shall I call now? <laughs> I don't believe that that's what she did. But she wasn't perfect. So Jesus didn't make it a condition. I won't condemn you if you go and sin no more. A lot of people teach that. They teach that. They might not put it into those words, but they teach it. They say, you're saved, but I'll tell you what, what God gives you today, he can take away from you tomorrow. So you better watch out because you are only saved by the skin of your teeth. And you go to the mirror and brush your teeth. And you say, my God, there's no skin on my teeth. I believe in eternal salvation. I believe when God gets a hold of you, He doesn't let you go. The Bible says nothing shall separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Not even you. Nothing. 
Nothing. Not death, not life. Principalities, powers, devils, demons, goblins, goop, and all the rest of it. Nobody can do it. Not even you. Because he's not just saved you from other people. He saved you from you. Praise God. Because he hadn't saved you from you, you'd walk right out of there again. But oh, his love that saves you is a love that keeps you. Amen. What's the point of saving you if he hasn't power to keep you? He saves and keeps you. We are kept by the power of God through faith for the salvation that will appear at the last time. So it's not conditional, but it is a different kind of statement. These are actually two statements. The first one is a declaration, I don't condemn you. The second one is a command for you English teachers here, or even foreign language teachers and foreign language students, you'll know this is the imperative mood. There is a change of mood. The first mood is indicative, it's a declaration, I do not condemn you. Second mood has changed, it is now a command. Oh, oh here we go, we knew it. We knew it, you just when we we're beginning to enjoy ourselves, now you're going to change the mood, and you're going to talk about command. Oh, 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 wait, 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 spera poco, spera poco, listen, wait. Wait, 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 wait. Remember who's talking. Who's talking? Jesus. And who is he? He is grace. Jesus hasn't said, okay, I've got rid of that grace bit now. <laughs> Done that. Oh, now I'm going to come on to the other bit. I'm moving from grace to law. Lady. No more Mr. Nice Guy. I know that what you're like, so I'm going to have to threaten you a bit, scare you. No, 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 no. It was all grace, both parts of this. I do not condemn you. Go sin no more. It's grace. It's all love. It's all love. It's all grace. The first part, Jesus says, I love you and accept you as you are. The second part says, but I love you too much to leave you as you are. The first part, Jesus said, I set you free from the penalty of sin. The second part of the good news is, now I'm setting you free from the power of sin. Let me put it to you this way. Okay, give, give, give Jesus a big praise. You see, sin doesn't just bring penalty. Sin destroys, sin corrupts, sin brings misery, sin brings pain, sin brings bondage. This woman was like somebody in a prison cell on the way to death row. And Jesus says, I've got good news for you. You're not going to be executed. I've set you free. That sentence has been removed. But he didn't say, okay, you better you stay there in prison now, at least you're gonna live. It wasn't commuted from a life sentence to a death sentence. So from a death, from a death sentence to a life sentence. Jesus said, You know what? You don't belong in this prison. You're my daughter. I'm not gonna leave you here. Here are the keys. I'm setting you free. Go and sin no more. I was saved at 18, and one of the, you know, I didn't, if you look back on your life and you can remember certain things, when you've become a believer, you can remember, oh, I remember that now. 
my auntie said something like that. Oh yeah, I read a book like that. Oh yeah, I saw a television program. And you begin to see that God was working throughout your whole life. And there were moments when you thought, yeah, he was speaking to me. Here's such a moment from my life. I was 17 years of age. New in London. I kind of ran away from home. That's not the strict truth, but it was was as good as true. I certainly got the heaven out of there. My... uh, Parents were living in Australia. I'd come from Africa. We'd spent 10 years in Australia. And I managed to escape to London. And I went to the Royal Ballet School and I said, you will make of me a star. And, uh, well, anyway, that's, that's another story. Let me stick to my story. Now, for two years in London, practically two years, I was a, not, a, not a believer. And I was experiencing the big, ugly world. I was going to say the good, the bad, and the ugly, but it was the bad, the ugly, and the bad. And I remember one evening, late at night, I was in Piccadilly Circus and went down to the Piccadilly Underground, I think the the Piccadilly Line, the Blue Line. And in those days, I mean, this is, um, well, I was 17, work it out for yourself. (laughs) My maths is okay, but who's counting? Anyway, all right. This would have been the very early 70s, and it's, the whole area is totally transformed now. It was a den of drug addiction. And heroin addicts are just out of the 60s. Anybody that had just survived from the 60s was still there rotting, rotting away in some squat somewhere, sleeping rough, and I went down the stairs, it was all dark, you know, there's a light that should be there that isn't there, you know, and I'm only 17, very young, very fresh, very sensitive, very good looking, anyway, (laughs) and I go down, and I trip over something, and I think, who left that there, and it it was a, a pile of rags, but they began to move. I was terrified. I really was. I was spooked anyway, but tripping over this and then it moved. And then two eyes appear out of the darkness, all sunken and bloodshot. I thought I was in the twilight zone. (laughs) And then I realized what it was, in fact, who it was. It was a young man, a woman I, I couldn't recognize or can't remember but it was a human being, a heroin addict. I was so deeply shocked and moved, and something inside me rose up so deep, I didn't know where it came from. And these were my thoughts, it was like screaming out, you were made for something better than this. If you could see the image of God, so broken, so corrupted, and of course now a heroin addict in the late 60s, early 70s, is a a very strong and clear example of what sin does to us. But you don't have to be a heroin addict 
to understand that sin does the same thing to you and I. God's image is broken. Sin brings bondage. Sin brings brokenness. Sin brings misery. Sin brings agony. Sin holds you back from your relationship with Jesus unless you forsake it. And it was as if Jesus had that same thought when he looked at this woman. Yes, she was now declared righteous, but he said, I don't just want to take away the death sentence. I want to release you from prison itself. Lady, I set you free from your sin. Now go and live free. Be free. Sin no more. He was speaking as the Lord of the new creation, not now as the judge who had already lifted condemnation, but the Lord of the new creation. And Paul put that later on into words by saying, therefore, if anyone is in Christ Jesus, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. Recreated in Christ Jesus to do good works. That's why the Bible says the grace of God teaches us, trains us, and shapes us to, to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts and to live soberly and righteously in this ungodly generation because God is seeking a people and preparing a people who are zealous for good works. And it's still grace that does that to us. By the grace of God, I am what I am. And by the grace of God, I can do what I can do. So Jesus said to this lady in as much as, as saying this, he said, Lady, I'm not going to leave you here because you were made for something better than this. I have made you for a purpose. I've made you for a destiny. I want to set you free. Now go, go and fly with the wings of freedom and ascend into the heavenly heights of fellowship with me and watch what I'm going to do in you and through you and with you. Go and sin no more. Illustration of this too comes back from my childhood in Australia. My brother and I were always up to mischief. We went through a phase when we decided we were going to go out and chase the birds. Now I'm talking about Australia, not England. When I talk about birds, I'm talking about the feathered variety. When I came to England, I realized that they're called Sheila's birds. But if this was Australia and I was talking about women or girls, I would be saying chasing the Sheilas. But I'm not. I'm talking about birds of the feathered variety. And I particularly was fascinated by the amazing variety of birds with incredible colors of their wings and plumage. And I was very, very captivated by them. And so we would get up early every morning before the sun got up and we would set our bird traps. Now before you go and call the RSPCA... Let me tell you that these were very crude, boyish kind of traps, no snares, just a wooden box that we got from the supermarket with a stick and a piece of string as we hid around the corner. And we put breadcrumbs there. And when the birds come, pick up the breadcrumbs, pull the stick, and the birds would fly away. But one day we caught one. I'm so happy. A beautiful bird. Put it in the box, went home, flapping around. And, and look, Mum, look, Dad, look, we're done. We got. Oh, how good, son, but you know, you can't leave it there. You're going to have to set it free. 
Oh, no. Mum, why? No, the bird isn't made to live in a box. The bird is made to go on the trees and fly. What you're doing is cruel. Set the bird free. It wasn't made for this. It was made to fly in the sky. So we went round, had a kind of dramatic, you know, dramas. For some, some reason, it's always with me, I have no idea why, but very dramatic moment, take it out almost ceremoniously. Now we pronounce freedom over this bird. <laughs> bird fly! And of course, when the bird saw it was free, it got the heaven out of there, never to come back to those two naughty boys. It's the same thing. That's the same thing. You were not made to live a life of sin. You were not made to be in bondage and the pain and misery. You were made to soar on the heights of heaven, to rise to your high calling of God in Christ Jesus. That's what Jesus means when he says, go and sin no more. Go. Now begin your life. Begin your destiny, which is why I love it. Verse 10 says, back in, um, is it verse 10? I beg your pardon. Verse 12, back in John 8, the very first scripture I read. Do you notice? He says, go and sin no more. And then verse 12, then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Almost certainly, John has chosen to take this saying of Jesus, wherever it was said, and put it here for us to read. It's like saying, you know what this means? It's like when Jesus spoke about being the light of the world. So John puts it here. It, it might have happened at the very moment with the rest. It might have done. But either way, we intended to read it together. So this is what John is saying. This is what Jesus is saying. Jesus, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. Which means that you are henceforth walking in the light of Christ. It means now that he is the light of the world. You can live. This is about following Jesus. And when you follow Jesus, you will not walk in the bondage of a dungeon darkness. You will be set free to walk in light. Walk in light and walk in life. Jesus saying, I'm setting you free. Now begin to live. I have given you life in all its fullness. Go and sin no more. Telling us to put that, let that stuff go. Let it go. What are you wasting time like that for? This is not what you are called to do. This isn't who you're called to be. Let it go. If you're struggling with sin in your life today, just look at that open window, and the open window says, come, there's a life out here of freedom and deliverance and living for God that will bring you all the life you could ever dream of, and then some. I'm preaching against sin. Do you hear me? But I'm preaching from the point of view of grace, not condemnation. Not ask you to go and look and pick at your navel and see what is in here. That this is introspection. Keep your eyes on Jesus. And when you keep your eyes on Jesus, you're going to let go of everything. Oh, I don't want that stuff. Jesus, the light, the life, glory. Oh, stop it. I don't want any of that stuff. You will walk right out of your sin. It is that easy. When you're walking in grace, you're walking in light. So what's the Holy Spirit saying to us? Go deeper. Go deeper. He said, I don't condemn you. But he also said, come, I'm empowering you to put behind you 
all the stuff, everything. There can be nothing more precious to you than Jesus. Find him. Look at him. See him. There's no many more beautiful than him. And sin is ugly. Jesus is beautiful. Sin brings bondage. Jesus brings liberty. Sin brings death. Jesus brings life. Come on. Come on. We've all made decisions harder than that. There is no debating it. This is the mind of Christ that says, thank you. You've taken away my condemnation, but you've let me out of the cage. Now I want to fly with you. I'm going to go and sin no more. Amen?